Good morning. Welcome to Destination Church Belfast. If you didn't know that that's where you are, you're here. I had a thought that just drifted across my mind as we were worshiping. And the thought was, what do you do in your devotional life when it comes to spending time with God? I don't like the phrase quiet time because why does it have to be quiet? There you all go, well, minus. You sit down, you lay the Bible out, and you maybe have your standard routine or whatever. But sometimes it can be a bit of a, well, what are we going to look at? Well, I asked the same question uh, in the summertime when I was off and away, and Holy Spirit chose the room or just spoke to me while Claire was telling me something about what she wanted to do in the house. I was listening, but just that moment I did bow out. He said, why don't you eat what you're serving? So this is what we're serving, and I have to say that I think for all of us, if not by the fact that this topic of mind matters provokes so much struggle and questions and difficulties, and I've got to do this dig into what we're serving here. Um, so if you are struggling or wondering or don't have a devotional life, let me encourage you to develop one. Get a cup of coffee or however it works for you and just start somewhere. Okay, so I'm struggling with this. And what I would do then is I would start to look into that topic, look into Bible verses that are relevant to that, look into stories, movies, whatever it is that works for you. But the point is that you get connected with him and get connected daily. And that way you can start to move this from theory into practice. Sound like a plan? Okay, so we are looking at mind matters, and we want to explore mind matters and communicate the importance of the mind and what you think. And the key verse is Proverbs 23, 7, what a man thinks in his heart or what a person thinks in their heart, so they are. And I'm confident, and I've said this, I'm confident that you will and I will, both of us, all of us will find benefit if we practice what is being spoken. Theory is so very important, but unless theory leads to application, it is completely useless. Okay. So this morning, what we would want to look at is what's the point? Part of you could go, this holding the thoughts captive business that you keep talking about ain't going to happen, never going to do it, it's too much hard work, what's the point? Or what we want to look at is, well, what's the point of all this? Why are we doing all of this? And in particular, why do we get so hassled? Is it just that life's difficult? Oh, it's just, oh, well, that's life. Oh, it's just difficult. Or is there actually something deeper going on? The equation that most of us live by, or, well, Russell doesn't. We brought this up at Smoker, and Russell said, I don't actually live by that, which makes sense. But the equation that I think most of us live by is thought plus feeling equals reality. Okay? So it's have a thought, have a feeling that backs up a thought, that equals reality. Am I on my own with that? I am on, indeed, my own with that. That is all right. I'm not. Thank you, Tishy. Tishy. I will never be lonely. What I want to say is that equation of thought plus feeling equals reality is supplemented by past experience by speculations of the future. What I mean by speculations is, well, what if that happens? Or what if that falls apart? Or what if you don't have enough money? Or what if you lose your job? Or what if that happens? Or what if this? You all with me on that? And then the other thing is the experience of others. Oh, well, that happened to so-and-so. Oh, well, they lost their job there. Oh, well, they find difficulty there. Or you know what I'm talking about? It all kind of feeds together, particularly when you're about to make decisions that are really kingdom-focused and kingdom-based. All of our our decisions should be, but for those of us when we're making a step in the right direction, it just all comes in. Thought, feeling equals reality, supplemented by past experience, fears about the future, and the experience of others. Fear always prophesies the future that is in the absence of God. When you think about some of the difficulty that people go through, the first thing that most of us would say is, if that happened to me, I don't think I could cope. Or, well, I could not if... And if I had their experience, well, then I couldn't. What you're doing in that instance is you've just removed God from the equation. If life fell apart, do you not think that he would still be there? If he said that you can do all things through him who strengthens you and that his grace is always enough, and you shouldn't be anxious about anything, that that's the truth, then it's not true that you couldn't cope. The answer to those things when that thought comes of, well, if that happened to me, you go, God will be with me. We'll figure it out. It might be pretty difficult, but we'll get there. 
the experience of others, always the enemy tends to use to hammer home and to sit down and shut up. Don't move. Don't go anywhere forwards because that happened to them and it happened to them and it happened to them and you've no experience of it and your experience backs up the lie. So sit down and shut up. So the thought plus the feeling equals reality. Does that have to be the truth? Is that it? If we are holding our thoughts captive, then what happens is we start to hold our feelings too. And remember, Henri Nguyen, if you've ever heard of him, said that our feelings are probably, they're, they're just so rebellious. They're one of the last things that choose to turn in this process of, of uh, being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Whenever we start to hold our thoughts captive, to be honest, and this would be my experience, it nearly felt a little bit fake. Anybody else with me on that? As you step out and go, I'm just going to believe this. The next thing that will come at you is, well, you don't really believe it. And well, that, you're not being real. You're not being honest. I have a high value on honesty. High value. I've had to learn to put love in that equation so that honesty doesn't rip the heart out of people. But I have a high value on honesty. And therefore, for me, when I'm stepping away from a lie into the truth, it kind of feels like I'm being accused of maybe being dishonest because I'm actually saying that this is the truth. Does that make sense to anybody else? But if we're holding our thoughts captive, if we do that long enough and we don't give up, then our feelings will start to stop being rebellious and submit to God as well. We have to renew how we think. And if we do, if this moves into action, then I promise you, you will be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Romans 12 too. The truth should define us and we have got to let the truth define us. And I've asked this question a few times. What would it look like if you believed that you were deeply and dearly loved by God? How would that revolutionize how you spent money? How would it revolutionize how you do your job? Or how you uh, speak to your spouse? Or how you are a friend? Or how you parent your children? Or how you uh, spend your money? What restaurant you choose to go to? I remember hearing somebody say that for those people when they're asked the question, where would you like to eat tonight? And go, I don't know. I don't know, you choose. Typically as a Really, the workings behind all of that, if you go back, can be, I don't want to choose because if I choose, then you might be unhappy. And if you're unhappy, I'm unhappy. And then I'll be a disappointment, so I'm not going to choose anything. Okay? For that person, this guy had said, is it Michael, is it Michael McGoggerich or something? He said that for the person who cannot answer the question, where would you like to eat tonight? When they know the love of God, they'll say, I'd really like to go to that Italian restaurant over there. Because the love of God has set them free enough that it trickles all the way down into their daily choices and they can stand and say, you've asked me a question and because I'm whole, because I have worth and I have value, I'm going to give you my answer. And if you don't like it, it's still my answer and I'm not affected by your smile. Does that make sense? So what would it look like if we really, 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 really believed that God actually loved us? Let that poke you. Pokey, pokey, pokey. I've tried to uh, speak about this bit, I think, for three weeks, um, but I've never got there. Forgive me, because this topic is so huge and so close to my heart and my mind. (laughs) See what I did there? So we want to learn the lessons that Cain didn't. Genesis 4, uh, verses 2 to 8. Abel kept the flocks of sheep and goats, but Cain cultivated the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. But Abel brought an offering of the finest firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. And the Lord had respect and regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no respect. So Cain became extremely angry and indignant, and he looked annoyed and hostile. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? And why do you look so annoyed? If you do well, believing me and doing what is acceptable and pleasing to me, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, but ignore my instruction, sin crouches at your door. 
Its desire is for you to be overpowered by it. You must master it. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, about what God had said. And when they were alone working in the field, Cain attacked Abel, his brother, and he killed him. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion waiting and looking for someone to devour. In this whole process of our thoughts, what we have to be aware of is the agenda of the sin that crouches at our door. The agenda of those things that poke of us is that they want to master us, as in we really become a puppet. And most of the time when we're dealing with things within ourselves or uh, issues come up or we're sinned against by other people, what we are dealing with is areas in that individual's life where sin has mastered them. It's the ivy and not the tree. Thomas Akampus, um, in The Imitation of Christ, said this, We need especially to be on our guard at the very onset of temptation, for then the enemy may be more easily overcome. If he is not allowed to enter the gates of the mind, he must be repulsed at the threshold as soon as he knocks. Thus the poet Ovid writes, Resist at the beginning, the remedy may come too late. For first there comes into the mind an evil thought, next a vivid picture, then delight and an urge to evil, and finally consent. In this way the enemy gradually gains complete mastery when he is not resisted at first, and the longer a slothful man delays resistance, the weaker he becomes and the stronger his enemy grows against him. So in this process, and believe me, we, I am living this as much as you are, this is a process. And part of it is that we let the thoughts in, we let them master us, and afterwards we go, oh my goodness, the enemy just played me like a fiddle. The next time then, we need to go, okay, I recognize this. This is familiar ground. I recognize it. This is what happens. I'm going to resist that. And at that point then, we can hedge him off at the pass. If we don't hedge him off at the pass, and it would be my own personal experience, if he comes in, you pretty much wake up from that process and it's devastation all around you. And I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. So don't let yourself be mastered. Cain engaged with what crouched at his door and then he let himself be mastered. So the question for you is, what do you choose? What are you going to do? Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, you may say that's not true because my brother-in-law punched me. (laughs) True, it is. But really, you did not wrestle against flesh and blood. You wrestled against the person that was mastered by sin and sin had its way and caused its effect. How do we get out of this? James 4, 7, Submit therefore to God the truth Resist the devil, no, you are not getting in, and he will flee from you. Now, he will lie to you that he will not flee, but he, he's a liar. If you, li- if you listen to that one, you're already listening to lies. He will flee. So why all the fuss? Why are we so opposed, and why all the hassle? Have you thought that? Have you thought, you know, as you start to go after God and you look at your life and you look at uh, things that come against you and difficulties that come, you think, do you ask the question, why is this like this? Why whenever I fought for an area, do I have to, keep an, have to fight to keep an area? What's it all about? Well, true to form, I have a movie analogy for you. 
Can I please have a show of hands for who has seen and remembers the Truman Show? A few people? Yo, good lot, better than Forrest Gump. Still shocks me. So the Truman Show. Truman is the star of a TV show since he was born. Everything in his life was engineered and staged for the benefit of the creator of the show for the creator's own purposes. From no age, Truman had had experiences that caused him to fear water. Do you remember that bit? When he's sitting at the bridge, he's trying to escape and he sits at the bridge and his uh, wife says, now Truman, you know that you can't cross this water. Truman, now you know that you can't do this. So what he does, she thinks she's won. He closes his eyes, puts her hand on the steering wheels and sinks the boot. And he gets across the water and then opens his eyes and he gets to the other side. For Truman, when he started to wake up from the reality that he was in this world, that he started to just see signs of that he was caged and that was just everything was on loop. He sits at one point before he does the, the bit on the bridge and he, he says, look, you watch, says this again, wife, you watch, there's going to be someone with flowers, there's going to be a man with a briefcase and then there's going to be a Volkswagen Beetle goes by and he goes, flowers, briefcase, Volkswagen Beetle. He's just started to notice some of the glitches in the matrix. As he starts to notice that, his vision and his desire causes, causes him to not want to submit to his fears anymore. Hence the putting his wife's hand on the steering wheel and sinking the boot. He wants to get across the water. And the final scene is, this, this is what I want to focus on. The final scene is he's sailing. Do you remember this bit? He's sailing and all of a sudden, and the creator starts to throw, now small sea creator. Don't be thinking we're going into analogy that the creator is big sea. It's a small sea creator. He throws everything against him. He throws the storm against him, but Truman is determined. He eventually sails to the edge of the staged world, sees the stairs, walks up the stairs. The creator, small C, speaks to him, and Truman goes, bows, and walks through the door. So why do I tell you this one? Where is he going with this one? It's just because I need to get a movie analogy and a message somewhere. The fears that have assailed your life are designed to keep you from your destiny. Until we really, really get this, you're not going to do anything. Until you start to see that the truth, now, John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. As you start to embrace the truth, that the lies that actually look like they are just chucked are very much assigned And that, as John Eldridge said in Wild at Heart, that there is a message that comes in the arrows. When you start to look at and add up the things in in your life, and not even necessarily the things, but the message that you've received from those things, they are all designed to keep you still, sit you down, and tell you to shut up. So they caged Truman by bridges over water, and they caged Truman by water that he wouldn't sail on because as a child he had had an experience that caused him to fear. Spiritual warfare starts so young until you appreciate that you're actually dangerous to the enemy's kingdom and his plans and purposes, that he needs to keep you down, that he wants to get at you from no age, As a parent, uh, I think Claire and I have seen quite clearly, there is a theme to the lies that are spun towards your children. There's a theme to the things that they recurrently say. And actually, if you've got a bit of wisdom, you can listen to the theme of the lies and actually flip it around towards the truth. Your um, destiny lies beyond your strongholds. Say that again. Your destiny lies beyond your strongholds. 
and we want to go around them. We want it to be easy. We want the wizard of heaven to wave his magic wand. Harry Potter, sir? And the Lord says, no, 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 we're going through. And for most of you at this point, go, (laughs) and you want me to come to this church? Really? A stronghold is a house of thoughts. Thoughts that are acted on, thoughts agreed with repeatedly, normally over many, many years in many situations. And strongholds draw on the strength of experience, and they manipulate feelings, and they feel irresistible. Chris Vallotton, who is a senior leader in Bethel in California, said this, when thoughts are demonic, they come with an unction to comply. They feel nearly irresistible. And normally then what happens afterwards, even if you resist them, is they come around, they switch hats, put on their accuser hat, come around and go, how can you, how can you, how can you be a Christian if you thought like that? And you had that feeling to do that. Remember, thought plus feeling equals reality. Their turf is thought plus feeling equals reality. How could you, if you love Jesus, possibly think like that and feel like that? Well, as long as we stay on their turf, they're right. If we stand on God's turf, we can go shut up and get out. How many of you, when the voice of the accuser comes against you, you go, yeah, you're right. Or you start to argue, no, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. That's not the equation that we stay on. I'm not listening to your equation. La, 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 la. And the enemy goes, and you go, oh, my leg, my leg. When actually, when you just go, ooh, out, out you go, out you go. Not listening to you, out you go. Get out, get out. I'm going to do something else because I am not listening to you. Your destiny lies beyond your strongholds. Your strongholds are a house of thoughts. And when they're demonic, which strongholds, when we're talking about these strongholds, they come with an unction to comply. They are strategically designed to keep you where you are and shrink your freedom even further. Have you noticed that for people who have areas of fear, if you came and met them five years later, those areas of fear would become this area of fear, that area of fear, this area here. Unfortunately, I have had the awful, awful um, set of situations to watch people as they yield to their fears. And what happens is there's this fake peace that comes when you yield to your fears. It's like it's all okay. But after that passes because it's demonic and it's yuck and it seeks to serve the enemy's purposes, it starts to come again. So fear starts to manifest a little bit further. So then we yield again and back you go and back you go until you're against the wall. Whereas what we have to do is I'm going to keep walking and I'm not going to listen and I'm not going to be afraid even though I may feel it. Have you ever noticed that when you realize that you have a stronghold to overcome, that you are completely inundated, completely inundated, bombarded with thoughts, speculations, and fears of the future, feelings you're told to back off, sit down, and shut up? You want to go after this stuff? Please go after this stuff. Do not be, uh, I can't even think of the word, do not underestimate that you will be inundated. But what I would say to you is, when that happens, step outside of the personal subjective experience and go, ha ha, Colin told me that it might be a bit like this. Actually, maybe if I don't play and I don't yield to these thoughts that seek to drag me down, actually, I'm going to get another step towards my destiny. Chris Vallotton again said, the dogs of doom bark at the doors of destiny. They'll growl at you. They'll show you their teeth. They'll tell you all the things they're going to do to you. Shut up and walk on. 
The only stronghold you want in your life is his. Let me read Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let me read that again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So the point of the hassle, of the difficulty, is to keep you down, keep you where you are, and to drive you further back. So I want to tell you, uh, it's just a little story. It's not a grandiose story. It's not like some of the others have told. But when Anna was, I was telling this in small group, when Anna was learning to read, she didn't find it the easiest. She didn't. She really did struggle. And uh, we were trying to help her in lots of different ways. And um, it was just really a stretch and a struggle. And I remember standing beside her bed. And at one point, the thought came into my head, tell her that she's going to be an amazing reader. And that thought came with a feeling. And that feeling was, this is on, this is right, this is God, and I had faith for it. And I said, Anna, I think you're going to be the best reader that there is. And then I said, Anna, I think that God says you're going to be the best reader that there is. And I didn't say, hearken thee, the Lord has spaketh to me, daughter of my loins. I have a word that is true from the Lord. He saith that thou shalt become a reader beyond all readers in the earth. And many shall listen to that voice as it narrates the words written on the page of life. I just said, love, I think God's saying that you're going to be a good reader. And still was a stretch, still was a bit of a fight, but how does she read now, love? Very well. She loves reading to her brother. She comes out with the most random story. She argued with me about how many species of bees there were this morning. I thought, this didn't work out well the last time. I better go, okay, love, I'll maybe Google it a wee bit later on. Now, why did I tell you that silly little story? Because in the middle of all of our struggle, we don't need God to speak to us about our struggle. We need him to give us vision about who we really are. He's not going to deal with the ivy in your life. That's your job. Because if you starve that ivy, that ivy's just going to die and go away. So he's going to speak to the tree of who you are. God summons the things that are not yet in existence as although they are. Can I get that right? Let me try that again. God summons the things that do not yet exist as though they already do. Romans 4 verse 17. He is going to continually speak to the tree because the ivy does not require his attention. And when you know who you really are, you're not going to feed the ivy anymore and you won't accommodate it and it won't be there. He wants to envision you. Because without vision, as it says in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. What's restraint? Restraint is yielding to the discipline that's necessary, i.e. Second Corinthians ten five, hold every thought captive and lead it away in obedience to Jesus Christ. If I just tell you to hold your thoughts, I guarantee you'll be like, Really? You might go, He told me to do that, I'll try. But after a while you'll find it's hard work and you'll maybe give up. But, but, if you have a vision as to why you're going to hold your thoughts captive, then I guarantee you that you're going to uh, do everything that is needed to get it done. I want to give you a few examples. Adam Peaty, British Olympic swimmer, was scared of water as a child. He won the first gold for GB in Brazil, first gold for a man in swimming since 1988 in world record time. Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Fantastic. And this is one of my favorites. Albert Einstein didn't speak until he was four, didn't read until he was seven. They thought he was mentally handicapped, slow and antisocial. He was expelled from school and refused entry into tech, and he changed, changed the face of modern physics. Let me tell you a little bit about Gideon. Judges 6, 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in 
Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiers. Why did I pick a uh, passage like this with these words? Abiersite. Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> and Gideon said, What's that now? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all your wonders and our, that our ancestors told about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and give us into the hand of the Midian. He was dealing with uh, thought, feeling, reality. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord. What's that now? Gideon said. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. We've got to listen to the voice that knows what it's talking about. We've got to stop all the time trying to stare at the ivy and cut it down and cut it back when what we actually need to do is believe the truth about who we really are. You are an overcomer. You are more than a conqueror. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, height or depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 8, 37, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. We can overcome. We must overcome. And we are overcomers in Jesus Christ because that is our identity. Because we are loved. Have you noticed that for the past number of months since we started here, over and over again, it's about being loved, that he loves you. He just loves you. He loves you more than you know. He loves the little stuff. He's got great plans for you. He cares for you deeply and dearly because when you know that, you will live out of that place. Can I get you guys up? So this journey is a, a journey from restriction to expansion. We all want to go around this stuff, but God wants to say that the way is through. When Joshua led the people to the promised land, they had to cross the Jordan and crossed it when it was in full flood. The way on is the way through. Now, why does God do this this way? Why doesn't he make it that circumstances, in our rational thinking and our own understanding, we wait for a glorious set of circumstances that means that now's the right time? When whenever it seems like everything's against the wall, it's all going to fall apart and there ain't no mission, God says, go. And we go, what? What's that now? What? Really? Now, why does he do that? Well, he does that because when we've gone through, we will know him better than we've ever done before. We'll be freer than we've ever been before. And we'll be free of the strongholds that sought to restrict us. And here's the other bit of gold. Revelation 19.10, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We will get to tell our stories to other people. I know your circumstances. I was them in, in, in something similar. Here's what God did. And we will envision, we will release faith, and we will prophesy to those people you can and you will overcome. Can I get you to stand with me now? In any area we do not give up in, and we overcome, we will envision and prophesy to others that they can do exactly the same. So what about it this morning? As always, there's a few questions here to help you to consider your response. 
Are you here and you've allowed fears and the strongholds that they've become to restrict your life? Are you beginning to realize that you have an enemy that is determined to oppose you? Would you like to live in victory rather than defeat? Or do you just simply need to know that God deeply and dearly loves you? If you can answer yes to any of these questions or you just want ministry, come and join me at the front line. Holy Spirit, will you increase your presence among us? Let me make that statement again. Your destiny lies beyond your strongholds. Will you come, Holy Spirit? Will you come and show us the land that is beyond the prison gates and the prison bars, beyond the walls, and beyond the invisible things that cage us? Will you come, Holy Spirit? Increase your presence among us.